Section number twelve of A Prince of Swindlers by Guy Boothby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. A Prince of Swindlers by Guy Boothby. Chapter seven, part two the man of many crimes as soon as he left berkeley square carne returned with all haste to porchester house reaching his study he ordered that belton should be at once sent to him now belton he said when the latter stood before him there is not a moment to lose lord laverstock will be at great chesterston street in about two hours send a messenger to waterloo to inquire if they can let us have a special train at seven o'clock to take a funeral party to southampton use the name of maryburn and you may say that the amount of the charge whatever it may be will be paid before the train starts as soon as you obtain a reply bring it to one fifty four great chesterton street in the meantime i shall disguise myself and go on to await you there on the way i shall wire to the captain of the yacht at southampton to be prepared for us do you understand what you have to do perfectly sir belton replied but i must confess that i am very nervous there is no need to be mark my words everything will go like clockwork now i am going to change my things and prepare for the excursion he would have been a sharp man who would have recognized in the dignified-looking clergyman who drove up in a hansom to one fifty four great chesterton street half an hour later simon carne who had attended the committee meeting of the canary island relief fund that afternoon as he alighted he looked up and saw that all the blinds were drawn down and that there were evident signs that death had laid his finger on the house having dismissed his cab he rang the bell and when the door was opened entered the house the butler who admitted him had been prepared for coming he bowed respectfully and conducted him into the drawing-room there he found an intensely respectable lady attired in black silk seated beside the window go upstairs he said peremptorily and remain in the room above this until you are told to come down be careful not to let yourself be seen as soon as it gets dark to-night you can leave the house but not till then before you go the money promised you will be paid now be off upstairs and make sure that some of the neighbors catch sight of you ten minutes later a man who might have been a retired military officer and who was dressed in the deepest black drove up and was admitted to the house though no one would have recognized him carne addressed him at once as belton what have you arranged about the train he asked as soon as they were in the drawing-room together i have settled that it shall be ready to start for southampton punctually at seven o'clock the other answered and what about the hearse it will be here at a quarter to seven 
without fail very good we will have the corpse ready meanwhile now before you do anything else have the two lower blinds in the front room drawn up if he thinks there is trouble in the house he may take fright and we must not scare our bird away after all the bother we have had to lure him here for the next hour they were busily engaged perfecting their arrangements these were scarcely completed before a gorgeous landau drove up to the house and belton reported that the footman had alighted and was ascending the steps let his lordship be shown into the drawing-room said simon carne and as soon as he is there do you belton wait at the door i'll call you when i want you carne went into the drawing-room and set the door ajar as he did he heard the footman inquire whether miss o'hallahorn was at home and whether she would see his master the butler answered in the affirmative and a few moments later the marquis ascended the steps will you be pleased to step this way my lord said the servant my mistress is expecting you and will see you at once when he entered the drawing-room he discovered the same portly dignified clergyman whom the neighbors had seen enter the house an hour or so before standing before the fireplace good afternoon my lord said this individual as the door closed behind the butler if you would be good enough to take a seat mrs o'halloran will be down in a few moments his lordship did as he was requested and while doing so commented on the weather and allowed his eyes to wander round the room he took in the grand piano the easy chairs on either side of the bookcase and the flower-stand in the window he could see that there was plain evidence of wealth in these things what his next thought would have been can only be conjectured for he was suddenly roused from his reverie by hearing the man say in a gruff voice it's all up my lord if you move or attempt to cry out you're a dead man swinging round he discovered a revolver barrel pointed at his head he uttered an involuntary cry of alarm and made as if he would rise sit down sir said the clergyman authoritatively are you mad that you disobey me you do not know with whom you are trifling what do you mean cried the astonished peer his eyes almost starting from his head i demand to be told what this behavior means are you aware who i am perfectly the other replied as to your other question you will know nothing more than i choose to tell you what's more i should advise you to hold your tongue unless you desire to be gagged that would be unpleasant for all parties then turning to the door he cried come in dick a moment later the military individual who had been to waterloo to arrange about the train entered the room to find the most noble the marquis of laverstock seated in an easy chair almost beside himself with terror with the venerable clergyman standing over him revolver in hand dick my lad said the latter quietly his lordship has been wise enough to hear reason no sir thank you 
your hands behind your back as arranged if you please if you don't obey me i shall blow your brains out and it would be a thousand pities to spoil this nice turkey carpet that's right now dick my lad i want his lordship's pocket-book from his coat and those sheets of note-paper and envelopes we brought with us i carry a stylographic pen myself so there is no need of ink these articles having been obtained they were placed on a table beside him and carne took possession of the pocket-book he leisurely opened it and from it took the cheque for one hundred thousand pounds signed by the chairman and committee of the canary island relief fund which had been drawn that afternoon now take the pen he said and begin to write endeavor to remember that i am in a hurry and have no time to waste let the first letter be to the bank authorities request them in your capacity of the chairman of the relief fund to hand to the bearers the amount of the check in gold i will do no such thing cried the old fellow sturdily nothing shall induce me to assist you in perpetuating such a fraud i am sorry to hear that said carne sweetly for i am afraid in that case we shall be compelled to make you submit to a rather unpleasant alternative come sir i will give you three minutes in which to write that letter if at the end of that time you have not done so i shall proceed to drastic measures so saying he thrust the poker into the fire in a highly suggestive manner needless to say within the time specified the letter had been written placed in its envelope and directed now i shall have to trouble you to fill in this telegraph form to your wife to tell her that you have been called out of town and do not expect to be able to return until to-morrow the other wrote as directed and when he had done so carne placed this paper also in his pocket now i want that signet ring upon your finger if you please the old gentleman handed it over to his persecutor with a heavy sigh he had realized that it was useless to refuse now that wine-glass on the sideboard dick said the clergyman also that carafe of water when you have given them to me go and see that the other things i spoke to you about are ready having placed the articles in question upon the table belton left the room carne immediately filled the glass into which he poured about a tablespoon of some dark liquid from a bottle which he took from his pocket and which he had brought with him for that purpose i'll have to trouble you to drink this my lord he said as he stirred the contents of the glass with an ivory paper-knife taken from the table you need have no fear it is perfectly harmless and will not hurt you i will not touch it replied the other nothing you can do or say will induce me to drink a drop of it carne examined his watch ostentatiously time flies i regret to say he answered impressively and i cannot stay to argue the question with you i will give you three minutes to do as i have ordered you 
if you have not drunk it by that time we shall be compelled to repeat the little persuasion we tried with such success a few moments since you wish to kill me cried the other i will not drink it i will not be murdered you are a fiend to attempt such a thing i regret to say you are wasting time replied his companion i assure you if you drink it you will not be hurt it is merely an opiate intended to put you to sleep until we have time to get away in safety come that delightful poker is getting hot again and if you do not do what i tell you trouble will ensue think well before you refuse there was another pause during which the unfortunate nobleman gazed first at the poker which had been thrust between the bars of the grate and then at the relentless being who stood before him revolver in hand never had a member of the house of lords been placed in a more awkward and unenviable position one minute said carne quietly there was another pause during which the marquis groaned in a heart-rending manner carne remembered with a smile that the family title had been bestowed upon one of the marquis's ancestors for bravery on the field of battle two minutes as he spoke he stooped and gave the poker a little twist three minutes the words were scarce out of his mouth before lord laverstock threw up his hands you are a heartless being to make me but i will drink he cried and with an ashen face he immediately swallowed the contents of the glass thank you said carne politely the effect produced by the drug was almost instantaneous a man could scarcely have counted a hundred before the old gentleman who had evidently resigned himself to his fate lay himself back in his chair and was fast asleep he has succumbed even quicker than i expected said carne to himself as he bent over the prostrate figure and listened to his even breathing it is perhaps just as well that this drug is not known in england at any rate on this occasion it has answered my purpose most admirably at five minutes before seven o'clock a hearse containing the mortal remains of mrs o'halloran of great chesterton street south kensington entered the yard of waterloo station accompanied by a handsome cab a special train was in waiting to convey the party which consisted of the deceased brother a retired indian officer and her cousin the vicar of somersetshire parish to southampton where a steam yacht would transport them to guernsey in which place the remains were to be interred beside those of her late husband i think we may congratulate ourselves bolton on having carried it out most successfully said carne when the coffin had been carried on board the yacht and placed in the saloon as soon as we are under way we will have this lid off and get the poor old gentleman out he has had a good spell of it in there but he may congratulate himself that the venting arrangements of his temporary home were so perfectly attended to otherwise i should have trembled for the result 
A few hours later, having helped his guest to recover consciousness, and having seen him safely locked up in a cabin on board, the yacht put in at a little seaport town some thirty or forty miles from Southampton water, and landed two men in time to catch the midnight express to London. The following afternoon they rejoined the yacht a hundred miles or so further down the coast. When they were once more out at sea, Carne called the skipper to his cabin. "'How has your prisoner conducted himself during our absence?' he asked. "'Has he given any trouble?' "'Not a bit,' replied the man. "'The poor old buffer's been too sick to make a row. He sent away his breakfast and his lunch untouched. The only thing he seems to care about is champagne, and that he drinks by the bottleful. I never saw a better man at his bottle in all my life.' It was well after ten o'clock that evening when Simon Carne, still attired as a respectable Church of England clergyman, unlocked the door and entered his prisoner's cabin. "'You will be glad to hear, my lord,' he said, "'that your term of imprisonment has at last come to an end. You had better get up and dress, for a boat will be alongside in twenty minutes to take you ashore.' The unfortunate gentleman needed no second bidding. Ill as he had hitherto been, he seemed to derive new life from the other's words. At any rate, he sprang out of his bunk and set to work to dress with feverish energy. All the time Carne sat and watched him with an amused smile upon his face. So soon as he was ready and the captain had knocked at the door, he was conducted to the deck and ordered to descend into a shore boat, which had come off in answer to a signal and was now lying alongside in readiness. Carne and Belton leant over the bulwarks to watch him depart. "'Good-bye, my lord,' cried the former, as the boat moved away. "'It has been a sincere pleasure to me to entertain you, and I only hope that—' In return, you have enjoyed your little excursion. You might give my respectful compliments to the members of the Canary Islands Relief Fund, and tell them that there is at least one person on board this yacht who appreciates their kindly efforts. Then his lordship stood up and shook his fist at the yacht until it faded away and could no longer be seen owing to the darkness. Presently Carne turned to Belton. "'So much for the most noble of the Marquis of Laverstock,' he said, "'and the Canary Island Relief Fund. Now let us be off to town. Tomorrow I must meet Simon Carne once more.' Next morning Simon Carne arose from his couch in his luxurious bedroom, a little later than usual. He knew he should be tired and had instructed Belton not to come in until he rang his bell. When the latter appeared, he bade him bring in the morning papers. He found what he wanted in the first he opened, on the middle page, headed with three lines of large type. Gigantic Swindle The Marquis of Laverstock abducted the Canary Island Fund stolen. This looks quite interesting said Carne. 
as he folded the paper in order to be able the better to read the account as i know something of the case i shall be interested to see what they have to say about it let me see the newspaper version ran as follows of all the series of extraordinary crimes which it has been our unfortunate duty to chronicle during this year of great rejoicing it is doubtful whether a more impudent robbery has been perpetrated than that which we have to place before our readers this morning as every one is well aware a large fund has been collected from all classes for the relief of the sufferers by the recent canary islands earthquake on the day before the robbery took place this fund amounted to no less a sum than one hundred thousand pounds and to-morrow it was the intention of the committee under the presidency of the most noble the marquis of laverstock to proceed to the seat of the disaster taking with them the entire amount of the sum raised in english gold unfortunately for the success of this scheme his lordship was the recipient two days ago of a letter from a person purporting to reside in great chesterton street south kensington she signed herself janet o'halloran and offered to add a sum of ten thousand pounds to the amount already collected provided the marquis would call and collect her cheque personally the excuse given for this extraordinary stipulation was that she wished to convey to him her thanks for the trouble he had taken accordingly feeling that he had no right to allow such a chance to slip his lordship visited the house he was received in the drawing-room by a man dressed in the garb of a clergyman who assisted by a military-looking individual presently clapped a revolver to his head and demanded under the threat of all sorts of penalties that he should give up to him the check drawn upon the bank and which it was the marquis's intention to have cashed the following morning not satisfied with this assurance he was also made to write an order to the banking authorities authorizing them to pay over the money to the bearer who was a trusted agent while at the same time he was to supply them with his signet ring which as had already been arranged would prove that the messengers were genuine and what they pretended to be next he was ordered to drink a powerful opiate and after that his lordship remembers nothing more until he awoke to find himself on board a small yacht in mid-channel despite the agony he was suffering he was detained on board this piratical craft until late last night when he was set ashore at a small village within a few miles of plymouth such is his lordship's story the sequel to the picture is as follows soon after the bank was opened yesterday a respectable-looking individual accompanied by three others who were introduced to the manager as private detectives put in an appearance and presented the relief funds check at the counter in reply to inquiries the letter written by the marquis was produced and the signet ring shown never for a moment doubting that these were the messengers the bank had all along been told to expect 
the money was handed over and placed in a handsome private omnibus which was waiting outside it was not until late last night when a telegram was received from the marquis of laverstock from plymouth that the nature of the gigantic fraud which had been perpetrated was discovered the police authorities were immediately communicated with and the matter placed in their hands unfortunately however so many hours had been allowed to elapse that it was extremely difficult to obtain any clue that might ultimately lead to the identification of the parties concerned in the fraud so far the case bids fair to rank with those other mysterious robberies which during the last few months have shocked and puzzled all england i regard that as a remarkably able exposition of the case said carne to himself with a smile as he laid the paper down but what an account the man would be able to write if only he could know what is in my safe upstairs that afternoon he attended a committee meeting of the fund at weltershall house the unfortunate nobleman whose unpleasant experience had found the subject of the story was present carne was among the first to offer him an expression of sympathy i don't know that i ever heard of a more outrageous case he said i only hope that the scoundrels may soon be brought to justice in the meantime what about the poor people we intended to help asked lady waltershall they shall not lose replied lord laverstock i shall refund the entire amount myself no no my lord that would be manifestly unfair said simon carne we are all trustees of the fund and what happened is as much our faults as yours if nine other people will do the same i am prepared to contribute a sum of ten thousand pounds towards the fund i will follow your example said the marquis i also continued lord amberley by nightfall seven other gentlemen had done the same and as simon carne said as he totaled the amounts by this means the canary islanders will not be losers after all End of section 12. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.